Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and go to Luke chapter 14 once again. I'm going to start there and kind of continue on what we were looking at last week. Preparations for life. Luke chapter 14. Just going to read that passage again. And verse 28. Luke 14, 28. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest after, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. But what king, going to war against another king, sitteth not down first and can and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other was yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours again this evening to open your precious word and seek some practical helps and truths that help us in our everyday life. For our good and for thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we considered this last week, as we talked about preparation for life, and, uh, you know, of course, it was kind of what got me started on this was the, one of the Pastor Custer's messages on the three things of life pleasure, pain, or preparation. Too many people live, live for the pleasure and, um, and lack preparation for life, and living for pleasure will going to bring you into pain. That's what it's going to do. Uh, if you live for Lord and make preparations for life and prepare yourself properly, it can bring pleasure in life. Um, and so a preparation, of course, is defined as a proceeding, a measure, or provision by which one prepares for something. And all of us are really preparing for something. Um, some of us are preparing to get old. <laughs> uh, well, you know, really the truth of it is, you all are. We're all preparing to get old. I hate to tell you, but you're all dying. The day you're born, you start to die. Um, so you know, invest and and you and prepare for life and in life wisely. And um, and it, we were talking particularly about you know God's plan. And for most people, it is marriage. It's not for everyone, but for the vast majority, it is. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 19. And he talked about divorce and remarriage, and and the the and what he said about it. His disciples responded, "Then who who would be buried?" If you notice in Matthew nineteen, I'm in chapter eight, verse nine, chapter nineteen, and verse seven, uh, they say unto him, "Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away?" He saith unto Moses, "Because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives." But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, who shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. 
His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. I mean, if this is just so restrictive, it's better than ever to get married. A friend of mine used to say, Single blessedness is better than dual wretchedness. And if you marry the wrong person, you might have trouble with, if you marry an unsafe person, you might have trouble with your father-in-law. She, he wasn't referring to your earthly father-in-law. He's referring to the devil, you know. But anyway, but, and so that's what the disciples said. It's good not to marry. But he said unto them, all men cannot receive this say, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. There be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He is able to receive it. Let him receive it. So Jesus said, you know, most, most people, most men are not going to be able to receive that saying. In other words, most men are not going to be able to not get married. They're going to desire, they desire that physical union that goes along with marriage. Excuse me, that intimacy that goes along with marriage. And, and, and so he said, most, most are going to get married. Most men want to have their own home, their own family, and to lead a home. And that's the desire, and to have that relationship uh, in, of marriage. Uh, but there are some that do not require it. And, and some that do not do it for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Paul did not marry for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, we don't know if Paul ever was married. But when he went into the, uh, on his missionary journeys, he did not have a wife. In fact, he recommended present distress that was going on in the world at the time that they not get married because of the present distress. That was a situation uh, in that time period, the persecution. And, uh, but he said, not every, and again, he said, not everybody can contain that, can, 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 can tow that. So, so this, is, this is, as we think about this, we talked about, uh, training our children in self-government, self-restraint, self-responsibility, teaching them initiative. Um, uh, preparing requires sacrifice, saving for, for the future, caring for your body, cultivating your relationship with God. And, but, and, and of course, as we think of the, uh, as we move on with this, I'm going to look at another aspect, and this is, this is, involves parental, uh, care. It requires, and this is, this is the third point in this series, it requires a loosening of parental bonds. Now, parents might be going, ah, wait a minute. I don't want to let go. But you know, God gave them to us to train and send out. And we need to prepare them for that time. We'd be working to prepare them for that time. I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. God gives us an illustration of this in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32 and verses 11 and 12. And this takes wisdom. It takes real wisdom. We're going to talk about several things here. Deuteronomy 32, 11 and 12 says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, bearing them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Now, from what I've read, understood, and there's differences of opinion about whether this scripture is really literal, about an eagle 
bearing her young on her wings. But there have been several kinds of people who have seen this. But when it says stirreth up her nest, you know, that when, a, when, a, when an eagle makes a nest, of course, it brings in, you know, sticks and things to, to make the, 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 the structure of it. But then it fills that nest with, with, with feathers and things that are soft and, you know, makes it nice and soft like you would like a nice soft baby blanket, you know, for the, for the little, little eaglets. But as they start growing, and they get to the place where they need to start thinking about getting out of the nest, you know what she does? She starts taking out that soft stuff and leaving it prickly, making it uncomfortable for those. She will even not feed them, which will push them to fly. Do you understand that birds aren't born able to fly? They aren't born with a know-how to fly. They have to learn, just like you had to learn how to walk, and you had to learn how to talk. No, birds have to learn how to fly. And so this, the mother eagle will stir up that nest, and then she will, you know, and, and again, there have been several kinds of this, from what the scripture says here, she bears them on her wings. Uh, and there's this one kind of a lady and her father who were out, uh, collecting bee or bee honey out of beehive, and they saw this mother eagle up on a cliff, and and she she took the young eagle, uh, pushed it off the cliff, and then let it fall for a while, and then would would dive down under it, and that young eagle would would latch onto her back, and she'd soar up high in the sky, and then she'd cut out from under it, and make it fly on its own again. And it would be like it's got a free fall, you know. And, and then she'd soar down under it and catch it again. And then take it back up. And she said, she watched this for an hour in awe. See, that eagle was making that eaglet learn how to fly on its own. You know, when the Bible says train up a child in the way it should go, that's talking about training them how to eventually live on their own as adults. You know, we've bought into the philosophy of the world. We let kids be kids. And I realize we shouldn't, as parents, expect things from a four-year-old. We expect from a 15-year-old. You know, that's just practical wisdom. But we shouldn't let them do things that are wrong. I don't care if they're two or three or Eight months, and get away with it. They corrected. See, we have to create. We have to create an atmosphere where they learn this self responsibility. That they learn that they're going to have to one day make their own decisions, and they have to start that as they get older. And and so they'll at some point in life be mature. Uh, and able to live on their own and make sound decisions. Uh, there needs to be exposure to test them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, tells us that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Uh, 
But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You camp, youth camp. We talked about this a little bit, shared that, you know, we didn't want the parents coming over during the week. Youth camp is a good time for kids to go to camp, get away from parents, and see how they act. Will they remember to make their bed? Oh, some of your moms may say, Oh, I don't know if my child will make his bed. I don't know if Daniel will brush his teeth. You know, will they get a shower all week? I don't know. If they don't, everybody will know. <laughs> will they wear deodorant? Will they mind their manners? But the big question is, will they stand for what's right? You know, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, even if it's called Christian circles, there'll be bad apples there. There'll be rotten potatoes amongst the bunch. And you have to decide, and you need to learn, that you're going to either stand for right, or you're going to go along with the crowd. And so, we need to, we need to while, while our... You know, our, as our children are start to maturing, we need to start loosening the parental bonds and getting them to think for themselves and not be hovering over them and protecting them from any possibility of a trial or test or hardship that might try their faith. I think we ought to oversee it to some extent. But we have to be careful not to make all the decisions for them. But I think there's a process that we ought to, we ought to uh, work through. And that is to teach them to learn critical thinking skills. Now, as we think about learning critical thinking skills, as, we, as, 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 I, as I'm referring to critical thinking, I'm not talking about, oh, you just criticize, look, look you're critical of everything that everyone does and, and everything that everyone does. That's not the idea. But it's learning to think and examine things, whether they're right or wrong, and whether they are helpful, or as Paul said, expedient, helpful for me in my relationship with my Lord, in my walk with the Lord. And as we, and as we think about learning critical thinking, there's, there's a couple of things we need to keep in mind. Number one, God's word is truth. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So if something is contrary to the word of God, it's not true. It's not true. Psalm 19.7-9 The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Can't be improved upon. Converting the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. And the simple refers to those that don't have knowledge. You see, the word of God can make you wise. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. That's the opposite of the pain. Rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening or giving wisdom or understanding to your eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, we need to come to this idea of critical thinking or developing uh, critical thinking that God's word is the truth and we need to examine everything according to the Bible. You know, there are many examples in that we find that have happened in history or in a world that prove the scriptures right. For example, do you ever wonder why the Bible says that a male child is to be circumcised on the eighth day? Well, that's just the day that God decided it ought to be done. No, that's not the right answer. ResearchGate, September 2007, said this, quote, It is of significant medical importance that the male circumcision be carried out on the eighth day after the birth. Since the level of vitamin K is the highest on this day, and vitamin K plays a pivotal role in regulation and control of the important clotting factors in the coagulation pathway that helps in stopping bleeding, unquote. So there's a reason why God said... You circumcise that little boy on the eighth day. Because that's the day vitamin K is the highest in the blood. And the bleeding will stop the quickest. And you're most least likely then to have an infection problem. See, God knew this long before medical science ever figured it out. Um... What about the paths in the sea? Do you, do, you under, do you know that there's paths in the sea? I mean, there's actually places in the sea that the currents of the sea will help you to make your journey faster. But nobody knew this until Matthew Murray. It was in the 1800s. He read Psalm 8.8 where it says, The fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. And so he began to investigate the seas, and he found out there are paths in the seas. And he came up with navigational routes that hastened ships on their voyages. You know, what was Christopher Columbus doing when he discovered America? I mean, what was the purpose of his voyage? Was it to discover America? No. What was he trying to prove? He was trying to prove that the earth is round. Well, if you just read the Bible, Isaiah 40.22 says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. See, Christians have for long said the earth is round, not flat. You see, The Bible is not a science book, but everything it says about science is correct. The Bible is not a medical book, but everything it says about medicine is right. And the Bible is not a history book, but everything that it records about history is with unparalleled accuracy. Even to the spelling of the names of the kings. 
There is no other book in the world that has as accurate spellings of historical figures as the Bible does. None. According to Robert Dick Wilson, who could speak 45 languages and dialects. But we, in the world, of course, we know there's much faulty science. 1 Corinthians 6, or no, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy 6.20 tells us, talks about science falsely so-called and oppositions. And of course, we have evolution, climate change. We had the models they used for the COVID-19 shut down and all that. It was all built on faulty science. See, what I'm saying is, we need to believe that God's word is the truth. No matter what it, what it addresses or what it, what it speaks of, it is the truth. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, Thy word is true from beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So you need to learn, you will never prove the Bible wrong. Now, you may interpret it wrong. People do that all the time. I mean, there have been times in my life where I interpreted it wrong. I used to believe in the universal church. I interpreted it wrong. That's what I was taught, and I continued that for a time. You know, so that happens all the time. That's why Paul said in Romans 3, 4, God forbid, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. See, God is always right in his sayings, and you can be rendered or be right in your sayings if you speak according to the word of God. And people may say you're wrong and may, for a time, it may seem like you're wrong, but in the final analysis, when all things are said and done, you're going to be proven right if you follow the scriptures. The righteous will always be vindicated. It may be when we get to glory, but you will be vindicated. And so we need to settle it in our minds, settle it in your minds, young people, that God's word is the truth. You're not going to do any better than the scriptures. You will never prove them wrong. Now, it may seem like you get away with it. Some have tried. Saul tried. And it seemed like he got away with it. But in the end, he went to a witch and took his own life. Others tried it. So, In light of that, we need to learn or teach our children to examine or evaluate teaching or opinions by the word of God. You know, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 15. You know, it used to bother me when people said, you're so dogmatic, or you're you're a legalist. And Bob Mitchell Mitchell helped me a lot with that, that one. He said he would say, define that term. Define legalism for me. And then they begin to start and stutter and stammer. And, you know, legalism is the idea that I can work for my salvation. That's legalism. Legalism is not holding Bible standards. That's not legalism. That's holiness. That's just taking the Bible and judging everything in life by the scriptures. And 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You know, people would like to quote Matthew chapter 7, Judge not, 
that you be not judged. And, and you know, they'll say, you know, you, you, you're so judgmental. Well, the Bible says here that the spiritual judgeth all things. Now, and that means is he examines, he evaluates everything. That comes his way, he evaluates, he examines it by the scriptures. Is this the truth or is it error? You know, 1 Timothy 6.20, quoted part of it for you, 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul warned Timothy, he said, Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. There's a lot of science falsely so-called. Evolution is a science falsely so-called. What is science? What's the definition of science? I'm sorry? Body of knowledge, okay. But what? how do you prove science? Observation. You have to observe it. It has to be something observed. Any of you ever see evolution? You can't even see it today. Now, I don't know about you, but I know you be, you're garden, Brother Hoyle, but I planted mine, and, I mean, the weeds just grew in it, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. I thought evolution at some point would take over. And it would get better and better and better and better. Isn't that, isn't that the philosophy of evolution? We, we have gotten better and better and better. Have we? There's no evidence, there's no observation that proves evolution. It's not even a science. It's not even a theory. But there's many science, false. there's textual criticism where they question the words that God gave instead of accepting the historical record that God has given. That's not a science. It's falsely so-called. But look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. John says in 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So he says, don't believe everything you hear. Don't just, just take a, a man and say, well, he calls himself a preacher, so he has to be telling the truth. He says there's many false prophets going out into the world. So when he says, try the spirits, he's talking about really the teachings. And so, you know, again, we're not to have a critical attitude and try and find fault with everything, but we need to learn how to evaluate what is true from what is not. And we do that by knowledge of the scriptures. And of course, the Spirit of God that dwells within us. You know, if we're walking with the Spirit, you know, the Spirit of God can give you discernment concerning things. And, and so, you know, He bears witness. The Spirit of God will bear witness to the truth. It's like somebody coming along your side and you say, Yes, Bethany, that is true. Or, 
No, that is not. He bears witness. And to do this throughout life, it also requires consistent learning of the truth. That's why it's so important that one stays in a biblical New Testament church. That challenges you with the truth. Or, and challenges you and encourages you to seek the truth and apply those truths to everyday life. Or you may end up like Asaph. Go to Psalm 73. (coughs) Excuse me. Psalm 73. And verse 1. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out unto them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. You know, I was, I was reading this. I was thinking about it. I just read an, uh, an article today about persecution in China. The Chinese communists are going around to people who are getting government funds to survive. Looking at Christians who are getting government funds to survive. And then they're saying to them, look, obviously God can't provide for your need. But see, we can. So you've got to give up your worship of God. You, know, you, ever get, you ever get envious of somebody that's got what you don't have and they're wicked? I have. You know, I've looked across the fence several times, quote unquote, you know, across the fence at a neighbor or so and think, boy, it must be nice. And I just think about that a little while, and then I start thinking, well, I guess it's really not. You start thinking about what goes along with all what they got. And then I say, um, no, thank you. I'll take what I have. I've got problems, but I don't have his problems. Thank you very much. And see, Asaph, that's what he was thinking. He said, I looked at the prosper. You know, the wicked prosper in this world. They're prospering. China's prospering. Our country is destroying itself. And so, and Asaph said, you know, I'm almost, I was almost carried away with this. And he said, when I thought on to know this, verse 16, it was too painful for me. 
In other words, he was starting to feel really discouraged and hurt and bothered by the fact that the wicked prospered and he was not. Verse 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought in desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. You see, when he said, I, when I went in the, the sanctuary, then I understood their end. I remember. I was reminded where they were going to come out and where I was coming out. And see, part of critical thinking is to learn to think logically, where is this going to take me? Where am I going to end up? This, this, this thing that I'm doing in my life, this, this decision that I'm going to choose to make, uh, whatever it may be, where's it going to take me in life? You know, Asaph and the world had two polar opposite ends. One was hell and destruction and misery, and his was glory. You know, Saul forsook the truth, and it seemed to go okay for a while. But how did he end up? And so, as we teaching our children to examine and evaluate teachings, we need to we need to ask questions to encourage this lot of thinking. Okay, if you take this path, where's it going to lead you? What will be the consequences of your choice? You know, you can't keep your money and buy the gun. You can't keep your money and buy new dresses and new shoes. You can't keep your money and buy a house. Nothing wrong with buying a gun, buying new dresses, or buying a house, or buying a car. But you can't have both. And so you have to make decisions. You have to make that decision. Okay, do I want this gun now? Do I want this house now? Is it something that, you know... Uh, that I can do, and what will be the what will be the consequences of that? Will bring hardships into my life if I take this job? What will it benefit me? What challenges will it bring into my life? You know, everything is every every choice in life that we have is going to bring may is has the has the capability of bringing benefits, and with it will also come challenges. even if you obey the Lord. You know, some people have the idea that if you go in the ministry, everything's, everything's you know, cheery. I wish that was so. You can have the greatest blessings and the greatest of heartaches. But you know what? If you're not willing to suffer the greatest heartaches, you don't reap 
greatest blessings either. The greatest blessings come to God's people when they endure the hardships of life. Think of all that Moses endured. Think of the preparation that Moses endured. Forty years. I mean, somebody that was trained to be a king, to be a pharaoh, a mighty man in word and deed, and he's here tending sheep. Bah, bah. Forty years. Those 40 years were preparation for the next 40 years. That brought hardships, but also brought the greatest blessings that Moses could ever get in this life. Moses is still called the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. But he endured. He endured hardships. So we have to learn to examine and evaluate everything by the word of God and make, learn to make choices, wise choices. You know, God also instructs us in Exodus 23 too, Moses said, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. In other words, don't twist the truth to suit somebody. And don't follow the multitude to do evil. Yeah, it was usually the multitude that caused Moses all the problems in the wilderness. He said, don't follow them. After all, the multitude is on the wrong path. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go at, go in thereat. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So don't follow the multitude. Make your choices based on truth, not what most people are doing. You know, usually if most people are against you, you're probably doing right. It's a pretty good barometer. Proverbs 1.10 Solomon said, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs chapter 4 and verses 14 and 18. Proverbs 4, 14 and 18. He also says, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. You know, if, 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 if at all, you're, you, you know, if you're, are trying to make a decision and it involves evil men, it's better not to do it. Now, you're going to have to work in the world with evil men. You can't, you can't completely isolate yourself from evil men. But don't put yourself in a covenant with them. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. And so, so you know, these are, these are things that you know, we need to teach our children to make choices, wise choices, to evaluate every situation. You know, there, there's a reason why I want my kids out late at night. All hours of the night. And it wasn't because they turned into pumpkins at 11 o'clock. And we used to use that phrase, you know. My father-in-law used to say to me before he married, now she turns into a pumpkin at 11 o'clock, so you need to have her home. Well, 
I seen her a few times after 11, and she didn't look like a pumpkin then either. So I, I really didn't believe that story. But you know, even the Bible tells us that sinners do things when? In the darkness, at night. Now some of you have to work at night. I understand that. I don't like to do that, but I have an occasion. But don't avoid evil and evil people. That's the idea here. You know, Proverbs 6, 2, 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. If you want wisdom, it comes from God. Now, that doesn't mean that you may not have to go to a place of higher learning to learn something about a job you want to do or a skill you want to learn. You know, God uses those things to give us wisdom in you know, earning a living and so on. But God, it's God that giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Daniel 2.21, Daniel says, And he changeth times, that is God. He changeth the times and the season. He removeth kings. He setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. You know, and, and Daniel was a man that was learned in the science, in sciences. And all kinds of things. He was a learned man, young man. But he said, it's God that gives that knowledge. In other words, God's word is true concerning every, every subject. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. Now, I want you to notice, I want you to think about those, those three things. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And it says that God gives those that are good in His sight wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, He giveth travail to gather and to heap up. In other words, that travail, that hardship. You know, travail is like, the Bible talks about a, a woman giving birth, she travaileth in pain. It's hard labor. Tart. And it says, He heapeth up that he may give to him that is good before God. This is also vanity and a vexation of spirit. So it's vain to go against God. So, parents, teach your children to examine things. You know, part of the problem in our world is people don't think. They don't have critical thinking skills. And again, I'm not talking about having a critical attitude and just trying to find fault with everything anyone does. That's not the idea here. But learning to think through things and coming to right logical conclusions about things. You know, if you think through the climate change argument. And start adding two plus two. With their argument, you're going to come out with about six or eight. It's not going to add up. A lot of the things that we see going on in our world today, they don't add up. That they're trying to push us. Well, they don't add up. There's inconsistencies. And see, if we think, if we uh, uh, learn critical thinking, we can see through all that and come to a right understanding of truth 
what is true and what is not true. But most people, they send their kids to school thinking that they're going to get the truth. And the teachers know better than me. The parent, so after all, why should I? And so the kids are filled with, minds are filled with untruth. And they're taught not to think, just accept what they're taught. So, again, this is all part of preparation for life. Parents, we teach them to think, ask questions, examine them, make them think through their choices, or challenge them to think through their choices. And they will learn to think for themselves and learn to evaluate the choices that they're going to make. But they need to start learning to making their own choices. So when they become of that age, and it isn't 40, (laughs) when they ought to be mature enough to live on their own, they can make decisions that they have sound judgment. Might the Lord help us to learn, to follow his word. Yes, to examine things that we hear by his word. To have confidence in the truth, knowing that it is true. It has been proven, and we can trust it. Let's pray.